as a 14 year old i'd wake up at 4 a.m i'd catch the truce metro bus up to paseo and that way i could get there by 6 a.m and get in and you lift weights for an hour and then i would go to school and, and me and another one of my friends we were literally the only two people on the team that did that that on that consist of a basis of uh, the entire off season which obviously i feel like helped to get to varsity level on on the the next year so earlier i said that i, w- I was in all of the theater productions in high school and which is true I, w- I was but i was also varsity football player at the exact same time fitness kind of changed my life right like i i, I was overweight kid being made fun of and if fitness kind of came in and like really helped to to shape my life in a corporate world where all employees have great leaders with no egos that create fun cultures where people can do their best work the employees and companies thrive while doing great things for the customers themselves and each other Well, we know that rarely happens. I'm Jeff Palaccio. I have been a leader for over 40 years for every t-shirt size company from small 16 employees to extra large over 1 million. Please join me while I interview outstanding leaders that will share stories of great leadership and not so great. It will help you become a better leader while poking fun at all the crazy shit that happens in corporate America. Welcome to The Corporate Couch with Jeff Palaccio. This is part two of Jeff's interview with Brandon Calloway. You'll want to listen to part one, but for now, let's listen as Brandon continues his story on the early days of generating income for tomorrow. So at the end of that hour, I reached out to Chris and I said, hey, I know you don't know me, but you know, I I think that this could actually get built into a thing. And he ignored me because I'm some random guy on Facebook, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so why, why wouldn't you? Uh, and then I, then I reached out to him again because I was very confident that this could this could this could turn into something. Uh, and so he responded to me, and then him and Cornell uh, went to high school together, and so the three of us got. So he reached out to Cornell. The three of us got together, and. You know, so from between April 30th of 2020 and May 5th of 2020, we got together, had a few meetings and built what is now GIFT. And so generating income for tomorrow, we uh, it's the that original idea of, you know, giving out $150,000 a month, but we didn't have any money. So, you know, you can't you can't give out $150,000 a month. if You don't have money. Um, and so we, we we started raising money. Uh, I reached out to a bunch of black businesses and said, hey, you know, we're going to give out grants. You know, what would you need? And and so um, we got a lot of information from those businesses that we just you know, just cold called. So we, we developed a program based off of their feedbacks where we so now we give out ten thousand, twenty five and fifty thousand dollar grants. And then we also asked them other than money, what else would you need? And, and they said, well, marketing, accounting, uh, legal and coaching. And so we every time we give a grant to somebody, we give them a year's worth of all of those things. Uh, you know, we give them a small business marketing package. We pay our bookkeeper to, to keep their books for a year. Um, we are partnered with Hush Blackwell, so they can they take them on as legal counsel. Um, and then uh, we you know, we now have staff. And so our, our chief of business development becomes their chief of becomes their business coach for a year. Um, and so. So we we kind of we built that out uh, early on, 
and uh, we started raising money, you know, person person by person. We t- Cornell, it, our COO, he's also our marketing guy, and he built our website and our logo and our social media page. And we took that message to the community at large, right? We went back to that face that Facebook post and said, "All right, we're launched," and we got like sixty dollars from it, right? We had a whole there was a whole bunch of uh, <laughs> interest when it was just an idea, and a whole bunch of you know opinions. But when we actually launched, you know, we we got about sixty dollars from that from from that original post, um, and then when we you know, we took it to the community at large, um, we also it would it would be uh, be horrible of me not to mention that because we launched May fifth of twenty twenty, and then like a week after we launched, uh, Ahmad Arbery the video about Ahmaud Arbery came out uh, about him being killed. And then the, uh, like a week after that or two weeks after that, uh, Breonna Taylor, her story came out about her being killed. And then the week after that, George Floyd was killed. And so right when we launched talking about building black businesses and closing the racial wealth gap and creating some economic equity, the entire world started talking about the the exact same thing literally three weeks after we launched. And so we were primed for media attention, but we were young. Nobody knew who we were. And so I sent a bunch of random messages to the heads of all of the, the, the media. So the editor of the Kansas City Star sent him a message and said, hey, I know you don't know me, but here's this thing where we're trying to do. You guys should do a story on it. The same thing with the editor of the Business Journal and, and of Fox 4 and all of them. Uh, and a lot of them got back and actually did stories on us, which helped us reach a larger audience. I called my old college professors. We hopped on Zoom. I said, hey, here's what we're trying to do. And they, they you know, they made our first hundred dollar donations. And and so throughout the summer of 2020, we we uh, were just spreading our message. We got some good media attention. Uh, we raised eleven thousand dollars and gave ten thousand to Ruby Jeans to help them get through the the pandemic. Um, and, and so now we've been going strong and we, you know, we went, we got into our second, second fiscal year and we're able to give out two grants a month and now into our third and still giving out two grants a month. And so we've reached the point where we've given out, uh, 1.1 million to 58 different, uh, businesses on the east side of Kansas city. And we're looking at around 80 to a hundred new jobs that we've been able to create in just this short three year time frame. Brand, since uh, people, many people that listen are not from Kansas City, t- uh, tell us why uh, you know the geographic area you serve. What's the history behind that? Yeah, uh, that's a re- really good point. Really good point. And so, you know, uh, we specifically focus on giving grants to Black businesses on the east side of Kansas City because uh, it is the historically redlined area of Kansas City, right? And so, if you're, if any of the listeners are unfamiliar with, with redlining. You know, it is the the practice that it was was started back in the 1920s of drawing different color lines around different districts. And so red, green, yellow to determine um, areas of the of of a geographic location that they should lend to uh, versus, you know, high risk areas. And so what it boiled down to was that predominantly white areas uh, were. Uh, we had green lines drawn around them and, and were listed as uh, as good investments. And then predominantly black areas, even if they had the same economic potential as those predominantly white areas, uh, got red lines drawn around them 
Um, uh, and they were they were listed as uh, uh, risky in, uh, investments, high risk. Don't don't land there. Um, and, and so that led to creating communities that were predominantly poor and black and uh, other communities that were predominantly uh, wealthy and white. Uh, and, and so fast forward 100 years now in 2020, and we still see that those same historically red line communities are still are predominantly poor and black. And and that is that is not a coincidence. It is a direct impact of the the longstanding practices of redlining. And so uh, our process is that by uh, identifying that that community, um, leading with grant dollars to invest in those businesses, help them grow, then they're able to create jobs for the uh, the other individuals that live around there and have the the capacity to uh, transform a, a community economically. And so, well, we uh, we when we started. You know, I talked about back in May of 2020 how I cold called a bunch of black businesses. Uh, at the same time, I also did a data analysis on uh, on some zip codes in Kansas City, and so I took I took the six highest populated uh, high income zip codes and compared them to the six highest populated low income zip codes, and we found that the high populated low income zip codes were all east of Truce. They were 75 percent black, and they were 36 percent. Had a 36% poverty rate. The uh, the high income, high populated zip codes were all west of Truce. They were 91% uh, white, and they had a 5% poverty rate. And so we looked at we I mean, we look at that and, and and say, okay, that's that's Kansas City's racial wealth gap right there. Uh, and, you know, Kansas City is one of 21 hyper segregated cities. It's a it's a designation that we actually it's a federal des designation that we have from the census. Uh, and so it's not just hyperbole. It's a it's an actual designation that we have, and being a a classified hyper segregated city. And so what we've been able to do in the you know 1.1 million given out in that area, um, and creating the, those jobs is exactly what we what we set out to do to create some upper economic economic mobility and we see it as having a, a overall fullest holistic approach on on the community when poverty is high in an area crime is high in an area right when people don't have things they go get they go get it uh and so we know that if we can create jobs uh raise median income levels create more financial accessibility we expect to see you know increase in the uh the quality of education because we expect to see a, a increase in tax dollars that are going to to those schools as well as a decrease in poverty related crime um and in the the overall racial wealth gap that we see here in Kansas City so that's that's kind of the 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 why the what and a little bit of the how yeah i know i i i'm glad you explained it you did a great job it, it's interesting cuz i grew up in uh, Peekskill New York at, um it's about 18,000 about an hour north of New York City and we, you know, it was very ethnic community, uh, city, uh, you know, we, uh, Italians, Polish, Irish, 50% mm -hmm. black. Um, and I literally lived on Fairlawn Avenue. So if you, I, if I lived across the street, I went, we went to Peekskill High School, which was kind of more the, the, well, it was the city high school, but I lived in another school district. Literally, you know, the, the street was, you know, 
could fit basically two cars. That's how <laughs> narrow the street was. And I went to Hendrick Hudson, which was predominantly white, but more it was blue. It was a mixture. You had blue collar kids like myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that uh, their parents never went to college. Some of them didn't graduate high school. And uh, but you, you also had kids that lived in really nice neighborhoods. Their their fathers, mainly their fathers, would be. Uh, screenwriters, TV producers, and take the train into the city. And then when I moved here right after college, I worked for AT&T. The data center was between Troost and Prospect. So mm-hmm. I worked there. So, but I didn't, you know, I didn't think anything of it. I, and I never really heard of the redlining till, you know, just recently. You know, the whole thing with Truce and JC Nichols and, you know, all that stuff. It was, you know, it just, you know, incredible that th- these things just come out now. So I, I mean, mm-hmm. just kudos to you and um, and your colleagues uh, that co-founded that work there at Gift to do what you're doing. I think I just think it's a phenomenal. Um, Thank you. I do think it's is- interesting though, based on your fitness background, you're kind of like the uh, Planet Fitness of uh, not for profits, right? The yes. ten dollars a month every month. You know, and that's the kind of the planet fitness model. But I love the yep. yeah. So and, and it seems that you're getting a lot of um, you know. Obviously, you can you can get the corporate uh, sponsorships and uh, and and the larger donors uh, as well as the, you know the foundation money. But it seems that you have a lot of individual donors. Is that true? And what percent are like are donating every month? Yes. So we definitely have a, a lot of individual donors. Had it not been for individuals, we would we we wouldn't exist. Right. So uh, we, we do get a little bit of corporate support. Uh, we get some foundation support. Uh, we actually run into challenges there a lot. One of the things that I hear from corporations and foundations is, well, you know, if we give you guys money and then you turn around and, and grant it out. You know, we could we could have just done that. And then my response to them is, but you don't. You know, but but you don't. You could you could, but you do not. Uh, nor do they have the system, the, the vetting system that that we have uh, either. Uh, but 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 that that is one of the challenges that uh, that causes us to not have the the number of corporate or uh, foundation support that you might see of another nonprofit of our size. Uh, it's just that w- what we are doing is. Uh, innovative and different in in the in the philanthropic community but when it comes to individuals you know our first year out of the gate we we raised money from zero we had we had no we didn't start with that big seed money from you know from anybody uh so we ended up raising four hundred and forty three thousand dollars in our first year and two hundred and twenty nine thousand of it came from individuals wow that's phenomenal Uh, you know right i mean now we're uh, we we have uh we're not at fifteen thousand donors we're at around 720 donors um, that uh, donate somewhere between, or our average donation is uh, like $17 a month. Um, and so we're getting in around 10 to $11,000 a month just from our, our monthly donors. And then we have a bunch of people who are just one-time donors. So they might donate $120 at a time. Uh, or they might, you know, make a one-time donation of one thousand to ten thousand um, dollars, and so, so I mean, even in year two, you know, we raised one point one million dollars in year two. Four hundred forty-three of that 
443,000 came from individual donors. Um, so like the, our individual donors are the, are absolutely, they're, they're the thing that helped us start. Uh, they help us sustain and, and help us grow. So, so when you started Gift with with your co-founders, I mean, it's I mean, you guys really moved quickly through the process. So, did you have a mentor or somebody that guided you through the you know to get the non for profit classification? Uh, I don't know what how your what your classification is. If it's yeah, so we're a five hundred one c three public yeah. charity, uh, and no, we did not. I figured so. I did all of so in addition to so I built our program based. So I was the one that reached out to our businesses and did the cold call and actually put the program together and as well as I did the data uh, analysis on the uh, on the zip codes uh, but I also did all of our paperwork uh, and so so I learned it as I went along uh, I, I, I figured it out I googled it I I just I learned it I learned it as I, I learned it as I went along and so part of it is that uh so my fitness background, I mentioned earlier, my specialty in fitness was you know, one of them was sports performance. The other one was clinical uh, corrective exercise uh, in sports performance and in like corrective exercise. They are both highly analytical. Sports performance is about exercise endocrinology, right? What hormones am I stimulating for how long, for, for how much uh, to have X amount of desired impact. And so every time I'm prescribing any kind of workout it has to have meaning to it. And I have to understand that, that why of that and what that outcome is going to be and what the risk of that workout is, is, is going to be. And so the flip side of that is, is the clinical corrective exercise. I need to understand how the body moves, how the body is supposed to move, why it's moving the way it is. And then when there's this function and how it's moving, I need to be able to identify that uh, figure out where that dysfunction is originating from and how, how do I, you know, uh, how do I remedy that? How do I rectify that? Uh, and so both of those are highly analytical processes that take a, a lot of like dissecting. If you go to somebody that is doing clinical exercise, one of the first things they're going to have you do is just, okay, walk. And they're just going to stand there and watch you walk. And there's a ton of things that they're thinking about and looking at while you're walking. Like, and it's just your regular basic walk that you do on autopilot. And so that same analytical process that I, I mean, I had been in fitness for 10 years at that, at that point. That was my life. That was how my, that's just how my brain works. Uh, and so we needed to, we needed to start a nonprofit. It's 100% doable. I just needed to figure out the steps and, and then execute them. And so, so that, that part wasn't uh, because of the, because of that approach, it actually wasn't as challenging as you know as i thought it would be now when we when we got when we started getting bigger so when we, when we started getting bigger one of the things we did we partnered with hush blackwell and as soon as we partnered with hush blackwell i said okay look at all of my paperwork because i did it myself <laughs> and i'm pretty sure i did it right, right. <laughs> but look at it yeah. <laughs> and they did they, they, you know I, I met with one of their nonprofit attorneys and she looked over all of our paperwork she looked over our bylaws looked over our, our 501c3 and all of that and uh and it it all checked out it was all it, it was all done 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 correctly uh but we, but i also i mean we built a board so i said we, you know we filed our paperwork may 5th we built a board and we're fundraising by may 18th and and so i found people to put on our board that also filled in our our gaps of the stuff 
that, you know, that I knew I couldn't do or, or I knew that it wouldn't be great for me to spend my time doing bookkeeping. You know, if we're going to raise money, eventually we, we will need uh, grant funding. If we're going to need if we're going to get grant funding, we have to have really clean financials, which means that before I take in one dollar, I need to have a bookkeeping system set up so we can be able to track from the very first penny that we've ever taken in. Uh, that's why we didn't start raising money right away, because, you know, we we uh, we didn't have that system set up. I wasn't going to figure that out. And so I found an accountant. I, I pitched to her and sold her on why she should be on our board. Uh, she came on and she did all of our books. She set up QuickBooks for us uh, that very first week. And and we've never been at, we we have never had any issues or challenges with pulling a profit and loss statement, a balance sheet, a statement of activity or any of that. And I didn't I didn't have to teach myself how to do that in the beginning now because she does. Uh, and, you know, so I, I, I have learned how to do it in doing it alongside her. Uh, but she is still on our board and, and she still does it on a on a monthly basis. And so now, even though I know how to do it now, I don't even have to. So. So, yeah, surround surrounding surrounding myself uh, with people that are able to fill in the gaps that I don't have while also just having that, all right, we got to get it done. You know, let's figure it out and do it. Mindset. Cornell, you know, our, our COO, co-founder Cornell Gorman. So he has a fitness background too. So super coincidental because we didn't know each other before, right? <laughs> he has a fitness background too. He's a personal trainer. Uh, Cornell taught himself marketing completely from scratch, right? So he, he taught himself photography, videography, video editing, editing, uh, graphic design, and social media and digital marketing, all completely from scratch. You see, if you go to our website, he built it completely, completely self-taught. He built our website. Wow. He built our yeah, social no, media. Nice. He created yeah. our logo. Uh, and, and so so having those kind of like, you know, let, hey, we got to get this done uh, attitudes. And, and so, so, I mean, he had taught himself how to do that before we, before we launched GIFT. Uh, but that that was his same mindset as well. And so, you know, Chris still lives in, in Houston. Uh, so he never moved back. And so quickly, you know, after May, it became me and Cornell. And we just I had my strengths. He had his strengths. So we, we knocked it out. And so. So, yeah, I, I think that mind frame as well as the the team that we were able to build and surround ourselves with. And obviously the environment that we were in in the summer of 2020, all of those things. uh all all together led to the the current success that we've we've been able to have so it seemed i mean you did so many things well like you you organized quickly you filed to get your uh, not-for-profit classification you seemed to have hired a fairly large board uh early on to help with everything that needed to happen what if you look back on it brandon what what thing would you have changed? What would you have done differently, if anything? The biggest thing that I, that I think we did, uh, oh, that's, that's, early on, we uh, we we spent we had too much energy placed in getting corporate grants. Um, so we we put a lot of time and energy, obviously, into individuals. Uh, but we had this whole notion that, OK, once we got up and going after a few months, we can go and get some corporate money and, you know, that will come rolling in. Uh, and and so. We, we spent way too much time, probably a total of about 
three months of really, really focused on corporate grants. Uh, and in our first year when we were building from scratch, that that that's deadly uh, because what we found was that corporations don't like to give to nonprofits in their very first year. We don't have data. We don't have outcomes. And, and, and so we can't like we don't have anything to show. Uh, and so even during, you know, 2020, when there was all of these Black Lives Matter, we stand with you, all, all of those statements, you know, we, we were not the primary candidates for that money because uh, because we, we, we were in our first year. And so the 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 return on on investment of the amount with the amount of time that we spent going after corporate dollars was was just way too low. And so we figured that out. And we made a pivot and we stopped going after corporate dollars. But uh, I, I, I wish we would have figured that out just a little bit earlier. And then, you know, we 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 had to work out a few kinks of our system when we were, uh, you know, making the connection to our business coaches. Because uh, in the beginning, we it was a two man volunteer thing. Right. Uh, so it was just me and Cornell and neither one of us were on staff. I was still at United Way. <laughs> and, and so we we uh there were a lot of kinks to work out in like okay when we deliver the grant to them and we you know bring on like we we connect them with their technical assistance partners and and then all of the, all of the follow-up um I, I i do wish we would have spent more time on that in the like in the beginning in the very beginning uh before i mean we got about halfway through our year and really figured that out and then when, when we started growing and bringing on staff uh, we were able to bring some of those processes in house, which made them a whole lot better, um, and just streamlined and, and, and just made it more more effective. Uh, but there, I mean, there was those are just you know regular, typical growing pains in 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 a in an organization growing the, the, way, the way that we grew. So yeah, those those are probably the the two things off the top of my head that I think that that if we could go back and do it do it over again, yeah. So I have to I have to ask you I I uh, heard this quote uh, that you had and it it's very Oprah Winfrey Tony Robbins <laughs> I, it's a phenomenal quote and I want to know the background of it, but I mm-hmm. I believe the quote is the magic that people are waiting for they already have oh yeah that <laughs> that's funny I do say that a lot I, I actually. So going back to you asked me one of the things I learned from United Way, right? Nonprofit and uh, like for profit are extremely similar. And so starting this nonprofit was very, very, very similar to an entrepreneurship journey. And so, you know, I did not have a big name prior to this. I was just some guy at United Way. Didn't have a big name prior to this. Nobody knew who Cornell was prior to this either. We were we were two guys who, if you put if you if you created if a if our board had created gifts by themselves and put out two job postings, they would not have hired us to 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 do this. Exactly. They would not have hired us to do this uh, because we didn't we didn't have the we didn't have the reputation we didn't have the resumes to say that we we could we could do this, um, and so. So and then uh, I, you know, I get into the position that I get into when I get to, uh, you know, we we had an article in Startland, and then Jeff Simon is the president of Hush Blackwell of the of the Kansas City market of Hush Blackwell. He reaches out and he wants to talk, and I'm like, whoa, like that's that's a huge law firm, and he's reaching and wanting to talk to me. And that was based uh, on the article in Startland. 
Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I was wondering, I, I meant to ask you what, how the Hush Blackwell connection came in. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they did that article for us. And uh, so they did that article for us. Jeff Simon read it and, and they were already thinking about building out what they call their Communities for Change program to do some promo on legal services for uh, minority owned businesses. And, and so uh, he thought it would be a perfect fit for us to, to, to talk. Uh, but I'm coming from, you know, like, you know, he's a, he's a, a big time person in, in Kansas city and I'm, I'm still nobody. Um, yeah. Five so, years ago you were at, you know, lifetime fitness. Exactly. Uh, tra- training uh, <laughs> people that their whole outfit matched, including their socks and their shoes and their, everything. Exactly. Exactly. And so, but, and so now I get to be in these rooms and, you know, I, I, uh, uh, I, I email the city manager now and uh, I say, Hey, can we talk? And he's like, yeah, sure. When, <laughs> you know, uh, I could email the mayor right now. And, have a, 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 and so, so, um, getting into these rooms, getting into these people who, who, who you think, uh, have, who, who you see have had, you know, really successful careers who are leading, you know, successful organizations. And you think, oh man, they must have some magic thing behind them or, or they must like, they must be super smart or they must have this or they must have that. Um, and, and then you meet them and you're like, oh, that's like, they're a regular person. They're just like me or just like my aunt or just like so-and-so. Um, and, and it starts to become a little bit more realistic and attainable and, and and just just within within reach just by understanding that the the magic that you think you know this person possesses that that you don't oh man they they launched starbucks you know they they must have some kind of magical force field around them where everything they touch turns to gold and all of this and it's like no they they you know it was it was a process they failed on a whole bunch of things but then they succeeded and they persevered and and uh you know they had ideas that might have been similar to some of the ideas you would have had if you were trying to do the same thing. Um, and, and so, so one, being in rooms, getting to become, you know, a person in Kansas City and, and, and seeing, seeing that and experiencing, you know, those other leaders while also talking to these smaller black owned businesses that are like, yeah, I want to do this, but you know, I don't have this or I don't have that or I don't have this, you know, oh, once I do this, then I'll launch that. Uh, you know, it, it, uh, that's where that quote came from. It's like, I I see all of these people that that think that they need to wait on this or think that they don't think they're missing something to launch this grand idea that they have when really the thing that's probably killing them the most is that the fact that they won't just go ahead and launch it. They won't do it. They won't take that shot. Uh, because if they take that shot, they might find that their ideas actually are as good as they think they are. They might find that the skill set that they think they have to launch it, like they do, uh, or the skill set that they think they lack to launch it, they already have. Uh, and so for, for for most people, I really do think that like that magic thing that you are waiting on to come and tell you, hey, I need to do this, or I can do this, or that you think you're missing to be successful in it, you probably already have it. And you're just, but you won't be successful in it because you won't, you won't just, you won't pull the trigger. You won't, won't, won't go, go ahead and, and, and do it. Uh, I think, so I think that's going to be your book title. Uh, something to that effect. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm anxiously awaiting, Brandon, there's two groups of people I, um, I'd like to, uh, 
impart uh, your advice to one is uh, I'm very empathetic to recent college graduates that are ready to go out into the world and uh, make a living, make an impact. What what advice do you have for them as they're uh, searching for that first professional job? For that first professional job, one be open. There's no there's no plan on the world in the in the world. I don't know. Maybe but there's not there are not many plans. There are not many things that have gone as planned, right? Uh, I you know you according to my plans, I'm supposed to be doing uh, a couple of different things. One, I'm supposed to be in Hollywood right now. Right, <laughs> Hollywood uh, or the strength a, coach for the Chiefs, or exactly. I'm exactly. I mean, I'm supposed to be either in Hollywood right now, or I'm supposed to be the head strength and conditioning coach for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I'm neither one of those. I'm doing neither one of those things, and so so be 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 open. Um, you know, my degree is exercise physiology, but those those same skills that I you know that I I use in the fitness industry have really helped me in in my career as a you know nonprofit executive. Uh and so so um even if your career takes you to a place that you 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 feel like has no resonance with your degree, um there there are likely still some some uh learnings and talents and experiences that you have built up uh because of that because of that college experience. Uh, and so, so just, you know, my, my fitness degree took me to become a nonprofit executive. And so don't think that, uh, your, uh, your options and abilities are limited to, to the box of, of your degree, be open, be flexible, take, take chances, uh, and, you know, step out there and try to find something that you that you really want to do. Yeah, no, the great advice. The second group I like to help is, you know, you, you, you're early in your career, but now you got promoted and now you're going to lead people. People report to you. What, what leadership advice do you have for them? Yeah, man. <laughs> so that, right. So let me preface that by saying we, we're about two months away from our three year anniversary. And I just mentioned, you know, that we started with a two man volunteer team. And then we brought on, you know, I, I became our first employee and Cornell became our second. And then we, uh, within 12 months, we, we hired a third and we had three full-time staff. Uh, now we are up to seven. We're up to, we have seven full-time staff. Uh, the skill set that it took to lead a two-man volunteer, uh, organization is not the same skill set that it takes to lead a seven-person full-time, uh, or, or organization. Uh, and, and so, in in doing that, you know, I try to be really, really cognizant and aware that different different people have different personality types, right? Uh, and so, if I say the same thing to I have, you know, six other staff here, if I say the same thing to each of them, I will likely get a different response, or I might get the same response verbally, and it might mean something completely different to to each one of them. And so, so just try trying to understand that. There is a there's a when you're moving and leading people, there's an individualized approach uh, to it. In, instead of when I was in college, I learned about this term psychic uniformity. Uh, and it was, it was like, you know, if you present a reasonable person, a reasonable per person presented with the same information will act in X way every single time. Uh, and so psychic uniformity doesn't exist. <laughs> right. The, 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 you, uh, 
people you can't give the same piece of information to two reasonable people and expect the the, the same things out of them so be be prepared uh do not set yourself up for failure and going in and thinking okay uh i am going to lead in this way and i am going to do this and i and so by putting all of the focus on you and what you're going to do um you take you you take out the human component of the team and the people that, that that you're leading there has to be some kind of input uh in there from from the from the people that you're leading and i think the best way to grow as a leader is, is to get feedback from from the people that you that you lead uh i do one-on-ones on a regular basis and give people you know free reign like wh- what are you seeing wh- what do you think would make the organization better like what what how am i doing uh and, and taking that because because you, you have to continue to grow as a leader and just by just because you get into a position of leadership doesn't mean that you know everything and so uh and it doesn't mean that you know you know everything more than all of the people that you're leading that's that is a that is absolutely not true you can you can learn from them and you should you should learn from them in order to continue to be an effective leader Brandon, thank you so much for being on on the on the podcast. You're doing such great things for the Kansas City community. Uh, you just keep on going, brother. You're doing great things. Thank you so much for your time today. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. I appreciate you so much. Okay, take care. You too. What I love about Brandon is that he is in his early 30s and he's had like 40 jobs. I didn't think many people had more jobs than I did during a course of a career and I'm a little bit older than Brandon. But uh, no, what a story. Putting together, creating a not-for-profit April of 2020, right when COVID started. It's a phenomenal story and the uh, what they're doing for uh, black-owned businesses uh, in a red line zone of Kansas City. It's just phenomenal. And I love so much, and I said it in, in the podcast, but that quote he has, the magic that people are waiting for, they already have. It, it, it's mm-hmm. so Oprah, Tony Robbins. <laughs> it does sound like, does sound yeah, like. I, I love it. So, Joe, what was your takeaway from Brandon's conversation? Let me tell you, if anybody has ever heard Brandon's story, the one thing that they will come away with is that there are no longer any excuses in life. Nobody can have any excuse. If you have something that you want to accomplish and you think that there's a barrier put up in front of you or something, you have no excuse. And the reason I know that is because a 14-year-old kid would wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and get on public transportation to get to school, to get to the weight room, and spend an hour lifting weights before his first class, a 14-year-old kid, in the off-season just so he could get on the varsity football team. And what that proves is that nobody anymore from this date forward, nobody has any excuse for not accomplishing what you really want to do in your life. I think that's amazing. And that's similar to your morning routine now. You hit the weight room in the gym about 4, 4.30. Yeah, yeah, I do. Jeff, I am a tub of lard. <laughs> Uh, and that lard gets warmed up and stirred occasionally, but, um, Joe, don't underestimate yourself. You have great leadership advice that we end every episode with. So what would you like to tell the audience today about leadership? Today, we are going to go to that great philosopher, Dwight K. Schrute, who once lamented 
always the Padawan, never the Jedi. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Corporate Couch. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love for you to take two minutes out of your day to rate us five stars and write a review. Please join me next week to learn from another great leader sharing their professional journey and insights.